Well, thank you so much for just another great time of worship. I just so grateful for what we get to experience here every single Sunday uh, as we worship together. I want you to use your imagination with me this morning for just a moment, and I want you to imagine that tomorrow morning when you get up, either you open your newspaper and you see there on the headlines, or you flip on the the um, uh, cable news network and you hear or you check your phone and you see a headline or a lead news story about what is taking place here today, right now. That's the lead in tomorrow's news. What do you think it might say? Would it say, Taylor's First Baptist Church gathers for worship? Well, that would be true. It's rather benign and kind of boring, but, you know, it would be true. Well, maybe it would say, um, Taylor's First Baptist Church continues to worship gathering together in person in spite of COVID-19. <laughs> well, that would be true, too. Uh, but we're not the only church doing that, so that, that wouldn't be real news. <clears throat> but what if the headlines or the lead news story said something like this? Taylor's First Baptist Church hosts gathering of dangerous people. That might raise a few eyebrows, wouldn't it? Uh, we don't consider ourselves to be dangerous, do we? We're nice people. Good citizens. We believe in family values. We, we try to live good moral lives. We, we're, we're not dangerous people. But you know what? We should be. We should be dangerous people. Not, not in the sense of being lawbreakers or somehow being threats to our, our neighbors or anything like that, but as those who claim to be followers of a risen, ruling, reigning Lord Jesus Christ, as those who believe in a heavenly calling and a divine mandate to be warriors in a spiritual battle we must be willing to bear the title and shoulder the burden and pay the price of being known as dangerous for God. You see, there's only three kinds of people in God's economy. Did you know that? Only three kinds of people. There are the spiritually dead, number one. There are the spiritually defeated, Number two, and there are the spiritually dangerous. Now, those who are spiritually dead don't know Jesus Christ at all. They have no relationship with him. They're outside of the faith. They're spiritually dead. Those who are spiritually defeated, well, they do know Jesus. They, they, they know him personally. They say they have a relationship with him, but their lives have little significance because they're making no real difference for the kingdom here on earth. Then those who are spiritually dangerous, not only know Christ, but their lives do have an impact and they do make a difference and they cause Satan all kinds of problems because of their walk and their work 
and their witness. And so this morning, I want us to look as as we come together as, as the body of Christ here at Taylor's First Baptist Church to set aside these men as deacons and to pray over our entire deacon ministry. I want us to look together as the people of God at what it takes to be a dangerous person for God in this culture. And this is certainly a message for these new deacons who are coming on and all of our deacons and all of our leadership, but it is a message for every single one of us. Every single one of us here this morning, regardless of our age, where we may serve in the church, our background, this is a message for every single one of us. Of us. So this morning, I want us to look at the life of a dangerous man as we see it exemplified for us in the life of a man by the name of Stephen. Now, we find Stephen's story in Acts chapter 6 and 7. If you have your, your copy of God's Word with you this morning, I invite you to take it and open to Acts chapter 6. I love Stephen's story for a lot of reasons, but one of the main reasons why I love it is because Stephen wasn't a preacher. He wasn't an apostle. He wasn't a professional minister. Stephen was a Christian businessman who simply wanted to make a difference for Christ, so he allowed himself to be used by Christ, and oh, what a difference he made in his world. You're probably familiar with Stephen's story, but let me just give you some background quickly so we'll, we'll understand what's taking place here in Acts chapter 6. In the early church, there was a certain amount of welfare work that went on. Specifically, there was a daily distribution of food to the poor and in particular to the widows in the church. But there was also a problem. Some of the believers in the early church felt like the distribution of food wasn't quite fair. In other words, they felt like some of the widows were being neglected while others were getting preferential treatment. So the apostles, because of their other ministry, felt like they couldn't give sufficient time to that. So they decided that they would go to the church and ask them to find some folks who would take care of this ministry so that the apostles could continue their work of preaching and teaching and, and praying and so you'll see here in, in your message guide in Acts chapter 6, verse 3, the apostles say, Brothers, look among yourselves for seven men, and these are known as the first deacons, seven men who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and we will appoint, the, uh, we will appoint this duty to them. In other words, we're going to give this job of making sure the food gets distrib distributed properly. We'll give this to these seven men. The first man chosen, according to verse 5, was Stephen. Stephen was chosen. Now, again, he wasn't an apostle. He wasn't a preacher. But this man's life blazed so brilliantly for God. His life was so dangerous for God. He represented such a threat to the powers of evil and darkness in his day that Satan trembled. Stephen's life had such an impact for God that the devil knew, hey, I can't afford to have this guy around. So Satan had him killed, stoned to death by a lynch mob before he could ever really get into his stride. 
Stephen was that dangerous for God. So this morning, as we set aside these men for the ministry of deacon, and as we look at our own lives, I want us to try to focus on the qualities that make someone truly dangerous for God. And I hope in doing so, we will discover that it is just as possible for us to have an impact in our day as it was for Stephen to have an impact in his, and that we can be just as dangerous for God today in the 21st century as Stephen was in the very first century. So let me move very quickly this morning to just look at three what I'm calling marks of a dangerous person. What are these marks of a dangerous person? Well, here's number one. Dangerous people have a walk. They have a walk that is irreproachable. They live a life that is irreproachable. Now, I need to tell something uh, to you this morning right, right out of the chute. And I have a burden in this area for all of us who would lay claim to leadership within the church of Jesus Christ. I have a burden for this for every one of you. I have a particular burden of this for students, college students, and high school and middle school students, but for all of us. I want you to hear me very carefully. In the Christian life, there is absolutely no substitute for honesty, integrity, and authenticity. There is no substitute for that. There is no replacement for conviction and consistency in the way that you live out the Christian life. The dangerous Christian is always the Christian who lives his or her life in such a way that other people know just by looking at you, just by listening to you, exactly what you believe, why you believe it, and the difference it makes in your life every single day. See, the people in Jerusalem saw that in Stephen. And that is why the apostles came to the church and called the church together and told them to find an honest man, a reliable man, a man fit for the work, a man everybody could trust, a man who not only talked the talk, but walked the walk. Those in the church turned immediately to Stephen. Look at verse 5. It says, they chose Stephen, a man full of what? Faith. And of what? The Holy Spirit was guiding his life. And every aspect of his life could be measured. It could be dissected. And there was nothing to refute in his life. There was no inconsistency. There was no hypocrisy. What he said is what he lived. His walk was irrefutable. Verse 8 also says, describes Stephen as a man full of grace. God's grace was guiding his life, full of power. God's power was flowing through his life. See, the people in the pew in that first century church knew Stephen for who he was and what he was, and they chose him because his walk, his life was just irrefutable. 
There was nothing anybody could point to and say, he's a hypocrite or what he says doesn't match up to what he lives. No, it was all consistent. He was an honest man, a man of integrity, authenticity, conviction. But but the more powerful thing to me is that it wasn't just the church members who saw this in Stephen, even his enemies, even his enemies took notice of Stephen's life. You see, as a result of Stephen's ministry and the ministry of, of these other deacons, there was a tremendous movement of the Spirit of God that was taking place in Jerusalem. If you look at verse 7, it says the word of God was spreading, the number of disciples was increasing rapidly, and many of the Jewish priests Many of the Jewish priests, now these are the hard-boiled, anti-Christianity guys. Many of these guys were coming to the faith. That was dangerous. That was threatening. In fact, this rocked the religious establishment so badly. Look at verse 12. It says, the Jewish elders and the scribes and the teachers of the law went out and they grabbed Stephen and they had him arrested They hauled him before the Sanhedrin, the the Jewish Supreme Court of that day, and they argued with him. They threatened him. They tried to intimidate him. Verse 11 tells us they went out and they found false witnesses to bring in to lie and bring false charges against Stephen. But through it all, Stephen was adamant. He was unshakable. He didn't see any reason to go on the defensive about his faith, so he went on the offensive And he preached a sermon in Acts chapter 7 that had such power and such authority that Scripture says, chapter chapter 7, verse 54, according to the King James Version, that the priest and the others who heard this sermon were cut to the heart. See, even, even Stephen's most ardent enemies saw the reality and the authenticity of his life. Oh, they hated him. They hated him with a bitter kind of hatred, but there was no denying this man's conviction. There was was no ignoring his confidence, and there was no explaining away his countenance, because if you look at chapter 6, verse 15, you'll read there that all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. I mean, this man was confident. He was authentic. You could see it on his face. And you could sense it in his life. That is the impact of a dangerous person. I want to tell you, the devil shakes. Hell trembles when it sees a man like this let loose and let go because Satan knows what God can do with a man like Stephen, a man whose life is absolutely irreproachable. Consistent, rock solid in every area. Nobody needed to wonder what this man believed or what he stood for. They saw it every single day in his life. How about you? It's what it takes to be dangerous for God, number one. Number two, dangerous people not only have a walk that is irreproachable, but 
God's Word tells us that dangerous people do works that are irrefutable. God works through people like this to do things that cannot be denied, that cannot be explained away except having come from the hands of God. See, it wasn't just what Stephen was that made him dangerous for God. It was also what he did that caused the devil all kinds of problems here. The sort of things that this daring deacon did, you can read about here in verse 8. It says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. You know what that tells me? It tells me that Stephen was a man of action. He wasn't just a man of words. He wasn't just a man whose faith was expressed verbally. He was a man whose faith was put into action every single day. It tells me he wasn't content to just be a spectator, to sit on the sidelines, to just fill a pew. No, he wanted his life to make a difference, so he got out there and he did something. Now, I have no idea the kinds of things that he did. Scripture doesn't tell us what these uh, miraculous signs and great wonders were. And it really doesn't matter what they were. That's not the important thing. The important thing is that he was committed to action. He was doing something that would make a difference in his world. And God wants to see that same kind of commitment in you, and He wants to see that same kind of commitment in me. Just Not just the commitment to be something, but the passion and the commitment to do something. See, because God wants to see us make a difference as well in our homes, in our church, in our places of business, in our community. He wants us to make ourselves available to him so that he can do great wonders and miraculous signs through us. Do you know this morning God wants to change lives through us? God wants to restore families through us. God wants to impact communities through us. These are the kinds of miraculous wonders and signs that people are looking to see today because let me tell you something, there is a cynical, unbelieving world out there and only those kinds of things will speak to them and tell them that Christianity really works. Let let uh, Let me lay something on you in case you don't know it this morning. People will argue theology with you all day long. They will argue over the inspiration and infallibility of this book all day long. I used to tell folks that the one thing people couldn't argue against is your own personal testimony. I found out that's not true. You can share your testimony and people just say, well, you're just a nut. But I'll tell you what they cannot argue against. They cannot argue against changed lives and rebuilt families and restored communities and new people. And church family, God wants to do those kinds of great wonders and miraculous signs through your life, and he will do them through your life. 
If you're committed to a walk that is irreproachable, and if you make yourself available to God to do works like that that are irrefutable, that people can't argue against, they just see the difference the gospel makes in your life and in the lives of other people and the change it brings to communities. And when your life becomes a channel for those kinds of great wonders and miraculous signs, then you will become dangerous for God. So, Dangerous people, number one, have a, have a walk that's irreproachable. Number two, they do works that are irrefutable. Number three, they have a witness that is irresistible. When I, when I read through chapters 6 and 7 of the book of Acts, there, there is something here that's taking place that is really just amazing. As I look at Stephen's dialogue with his enemies... Uh, these men gathered around Stephen. And they 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 asked him all kinds of questions. He didn't evade those questions. He answered them. When they criticized him, he dealt with that criticism. But he never once, not ever, not a single time, do we see him backing down or backing away from what he believed. Now I've already mentioned Stephen's sermon in. In Acts chapter 7, I wish we had time to read it this morning. Please read Acts chapter 7. It is a powerful defense of the gospel. The amazing thing to me is that Stephen didn't spend hours preparing this sermon. He didn't sit down with a stack of commentaries and, and uh, a study Bible and, and work all of this out, plan this sermon out meticulously. No, he was thrust into a situation, unexpected, where he had to speak right off the cuff. And if you read this sermon, you will instantly, instantly see that Stephen did not say any old thing that came into his mind. He spoke from the Scriptures. This sermon is full, full of Old Testament history. And Old Testament scriptures, if you have a reference Bible, you'll see over and over and over again where what Stephen says is referenced back to what was already written in the Old Testament. Stephen knew the Word of God. And that's why his message was so powerful. That's why his words were so irresistible. That's why one man who heard them, Saul of Tarsus, never forgot them. If you look to the first verse of Acts chapter 8... You'll read there that Saul was in that crowd listening to every single word Stephen spoke. And I believe Stephen's words were still ringing in the ears of Saul of Tarsus when on the road to Damascus, he ceased being Saul of Tarsus and he became Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ. God took those words that Stephen spoke and drove them into the heart of this man who was so opposed to Christianity and turned him into the greatest missionary the world has ever known. That is the impact of a dangerous man. When Stephen spoke, it was with power, it was with authority. Not because he had studied in a seminary somewhere, but because of exactly what we've already written here, written here and read 
that he was a man full of God's grace and full of God's power. There was something about his life that was so compelling and so enthusiastic that, that if you look here at verse Verses 9 and 10, you'll read that even Stephen's bitterest enemies could not stand up against the wisdom or the spirit by which he spoke. Now, I want to tell you something. It is that kind of power, it is that kind of authority, it is that kind of conviction that our world needs to hear and see in us today. Can I tell you something? Well, I'm going to tell you anyway, if you don't want me to, but I'm going to tell you. Our world and our culture today is sick unto death of mealy-mouthed preachers, double-talking politicians, lily-livered people of authority, spaghetti-spined people at all levels of life who don't know what they believe or why they believe it. And they just sort of mumble their way through life, going with the flow, bending to every wind that blows down the pike. Can I tell you something? The world today needs to hear something definite. It needs to hear something spoken with authority that is real, that makes a difference. They got that from Stephen in their day. They deserve it from us in our day. They don't want to hear evasive, apologetic, uncertain conversation about Christianity. Worlds are full of people who are unsure of themselves. We are living in a day right now where people have never been more, less certain about life. Do you realize the opportunity God is giving to you and me today to speak into this kind of environment that we live in? Where people don't know what's going to happen. They don't have a clue what, what tomorrow is going to hold. And Scripture tells us we have this hope as an anchor, an anchor for our souls. And surely we can speak into this context. Surely we can speak into this reality that we find ourselves in and make a difference in the lives of people who are grasping and struggling and worried and fearful. Let me say this. That doesn't mean everybody's going to line up to shake your hand. Doesn't mean everybody's going to love you. They didn't love Stephen. A lot of them didn't. Like Stephen, there are going to be some folks who will rise up to fight you and oppose you. Because that's what happens. That goes with the territory when you determine that you want to be dangerous for God. Can we just embrace that? That's a a problem too. We, We don't want to embrace that. The fact that it might cost us something in some quarters, our reputation, our financial situation, a relationship. But it is worth it. 
It is worth it. Let me show you how much it is worth it. Let me close by looking at the reward of a dangerous person. Verse 55. Now here's Stephen. He's preached this incredible sermon. We've already said that the people looked at his walk, his life. They knew it was irreproachable. They'd looked at his works. They were irrefutable. They had come under the power of his witness. It was irresistible. And now those who were his enemies have picked up stones and they are in the process of martyring him, murdering him, stoning him. And as the stones are striking his body, verse 55 of Acts chapter 7 says, But Stephen... Here we see the words again, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Did you know that according to Matthew chapter 26, verse 64, Jesus says that in heaven... He is going to be seated at the right hand of God. Did you know that in Mark 16, verse 19, when Jesus was taken up into heaven, it says he sat down at the right hand of God. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, the apostle Paul affirms that Jesus right now is seated at the right hand of God. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22, Peter agrees that our Lord and Savior is seated at the right hand of God. And the author of Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1, tells us that we have in Jesus Christ this great high priest and that he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven. Church, when Jesus Christ finished his work of salvation... When God raised him from the dead and pronounced, vindicated everything that Christ had talked about, the life he lived, the death he died, through this resurrection, God said, yes, this is my son. He is now king of kings and Lord of lords. The work is finished. Salvation is available to all people. When Jesus finished that work and returned into heaven, the word of God says he sat down at the right hand of God. But when it came time for Stephen to die, when Stephen's walk and work and witness for God was over, and in the last moments of life, the word of God says the Lord Jesus Christ stood up. Don't you dare miss that. He stood up. Stephen saw the glory of God in Jesus standing at the right hand of God, the eternal Son of God, the creator of the universe, the Lord of life, the Savior of the world, who had said, it is finished, and sat down at the right hand of the Father, got back up in honor of this man whose walk was irreproachable who did works that were irrefutable and who had a witness 
that was irresistible. Can I ask you a question? Is it really that important for you to be at the top of the world's popular opinion poll when it is possible to earn the acclaim and the accolades and the applause of heaven? Is there any comparison? We are sometimes so worried about what other people will think, about how we might be judged. Should we dare to be dangerous for God? One of my favorite heroes of the faith is a man by the name of Jim Elliott. He and his family did their work in ministry in the country of Ecuador, the same country that Ruth and I were privileged, and our family were privileged to serve in. And on more than one occasion, I was able to go to Shelmera, Ecuador, and, and, and see the house where these missionary live, missionaries lived, looked at the airfield from which they took off to fly into the Amazonian jungle and try to get the gospel to the Warani Indians who murdered them, martyred them. Jim Elliott and three other men were killed as they tried to take the gospel to the Warani Indians. Jim Elliott had a huge impact on a generation. God used his life to call out many into missions, and he said a lot of things that have been quoted. But I want to read verbatim what I have printed in your message guide if you don't have it in front of you there. These are the words of Jim Elliott, martyred missionary to the Warani Indians of Amazonian Ecuador. Jim Elliott said this, We are so utterly ordinary, so commonplace, while we profess to know a power the 20th century does not reckon with. Now, he, he lived in the 20th century. We're in the 21st, but these are his words. We profess to know a power our century does not reckon with, but we are harmless. Therefore, we are un unharmed. We are spiritual pacifists, non-militants, conscientious objectors in this battle to the death with the principalities and powers in high places. Meekness must be had for our contact with men, but brass outspoken boldness is required to take part in the comradeship of the cross. But we are sideliners, coaching and criticizing the real wrestlers while content to sit by and leave the enemies of God unchallenged. This world cannot hate us. We are too much like its own. Oh, that God would make us dangerous. Would you be such a person for this generation? Would you say today, oh God, I want to live a life that's irreproachable, authentic, life of integrity, that's real, no hypocrisy, no saying one thing and doing something else, a walk that is irreproachable. God, I, I want you to take my life and use it as a vehicle through which you can do works that are irrefutable. You can change lives and change communities and change churches and change families and create new people through me, something that the world cannot deny the reality of the difference you make through the power of your Holy Spirit. Do that through me. And I want my witness 
to be irresistible. Not, not because of who I am or what I say, but because I know this Word and I allow you to speak through me your truth to a world that is dying for that message. This morning, together we're going to set aside these five men this morning to the ministry of the Deacon Fellowship here at Taylor's First Baptist Church. But I want you to know this is, this is a calling and a message for every one of us. And I want you to examine your heart. And I want you to examine where you are this morning. Because you can only be in one of three places. You're either spiritually dead, you don't know Jesus at all, and you need to come to know Him this morning. You're spiritually defeated, you know Him, but you know your life's not causing the devil any indigestion. Or you're spiritually dangerous. There's really no other place to be.